Well, good morning, church. You guys good this morning? I, I, I'm a little more excited than usual for some reason. I don't know why, but like uh, maybe there was an extra bit of caffeine in my coffee on the way up this morning. Uh, I'm just really jazzed to be here. Uh, how many of you have ever um, uh, had the opportunity to, uh, to travel with children? Uh, <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, you've not had the opportunity to travel with children, but you uh, once were a child and you traveled with your parents. And, and, and if you've ever traveled with children, uh, you know that there's uh, this strange dynamic that can take place within a vehicle in a close, enclosed area. When I was, a, when I was a, a young child and we would go on these long trips, like I remember uh, as a kid, uh, we traveled from Nebraska to California. Uh, this is a long ways, right? And my sister and I were only about a year apart, and, um, and so that meant that we were at each other almost the entire way. You know, I don't know how far that is, uh, but mile after mile after mile, you know, uh, we almost had to put, like, the, the tape down the middle of the seat. And more than once, uh, I remember my sister and I saying, She's on my side, or he's on my side. Mom, do something about this. Are you guys tracking with me so far? He's touching me. Yes, he's touching me. Make him stop. Well, it's not much different uh, now that I'm a parent with my children. Uh, this summer, we had the opportunity to uh, visit Jolin's brother out in North Carolina, and we decided uh, that we were going to take the truck and we were going to drive uh, from Omaha out to North Carolina. And uh, I don't know if you know anything from uh, Nebraska to North Carolina is a long ways. <laughs> You're not going to do that in a day, right? It's about a 24-hour trip, and it takes us about 12 hours each day. Uh, so those are long, hard days. Those are many miles over the road. And, uh, and we needed something, right? Uh, when you're when you are traveling like that with children, you need some light at the end of the tunnel, right? You need something to which you can aim at so that you can say, you know what? In 100 more miles, in 200 more miles, guess what we get to do? Have you ever done this, moms and dads, right? It's like there's a great hotel at the other end. And what does the hotel have? Parents, tell me. Yes, it has the pool, it has the pool. We don't even care what condition the room is in. All we care is about the pool. And so like for hundreds of miles, we're, we're taking our children and they're crying and they're whining and they're touching and Simon wants a snack and Lydia's just tired of riding and are we almost there yet? And, and I'm just tired of answering those kinds of questions. We're almost there. We're going to get a hotel. I went to Expedia.com and I found one and it's going to be great. And so we know sooner than jump out of the truck and, and there, you know, Simon's like, ah, get my suit on, get my suit on. And Lydia's like, woohoo. And she's got her goggles on and her swim cap even. And like, I'm taking them out and we're like, oh, it's time to go to the pool. And we go out to the pool and there's this big sign. <laughs> Closed for repair. 
And I, I, you know, I like, I, I'm, I, you know, I mean, we've been traveling for 12 hours. I'm a little hot, and I'm like, Whew. so I take my kids. They're both in their suits. I got a two-year-old going, I got a two-year-old going, Daddy, we going to go in the pool? We going to go to the pool, Daddy? And I've got an eight-year-old going, oh. and I'm like the bad guy. I mean, I had been promising them this rest in this pool, and now there's this closed sign on the outside. So I march out uh, to the desk, and, and I said, hey, I reserved this. And I said, is there a pool? And you said, yes. And I said, is it open? And you said, yes. And the guy at the front desk going, it's closed? <laughs> I'm like, this is something you need to know. We need something, don't we? It might be a pool. It might be a fancy hotel. It might be a beach somewhere. We need something that gives us strength along the way for the hundreds of miles along the journey. Now, our pool was closed, but the promise from God is that there is rest on the other end. Uh, the fact of the matter is uh, Hebrews 3 and 4 talks about this amazing rest, uh, that the journey might be long, that it might be, in fact, like sitting in a car, and, and you're like, he's on my side. Uh, but the promise from God is that there is rest, not, not just at the end, but there's rest now and rest later. And I can promise you this, when we get to that end, it's not going to have a closed sign on it. You're not going to have to march to the front desk in your swimming suit to wonder why the rest was closed. But I will say, we have to get there. Strength for the journey sometimes comes when we recognize what's at the end and we work to get there. This text this morning is fantastic. It deals a lot with the kind of rest that, that we want as people. Uh, uh, the author of Hebrews gives his illustration, uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, there is this, there's this nation, uh, and God has chosen them as his people. He said, you're going to be my people. You're my people. And he does this incredible thing for them. He delivers them from slavery. He shows them all sorts of miracles. Uh, they have experienced the grace of God. And he says, I am going to let you come into my rest. This rest, this rest was a place for Israel. Uh, the promise of God in the Old Testament is always attached to land. It, it was kind of their inheritance. God had chosen them. And he said, I am going to give you this fantastic place. Uh, just recently, uh, Papillion, Nebraska, um, of all places in the U.S., was named the second uh, best place to live in America. I don't know if you're aware of this, by Money Mag Magazine. In other words, what, what God is doing... What God is doing with Israel when he says, you're my people and I am going to take you into my rest. I'm going to take you into this land flowing with milk and honey. He's saying, I'm going to take you to the number one place to live in the world and I'm going to take care of you. We find that in other places in Scripture that God has said uh, of Israel, this nation that he has chosen, these people that are his, he said, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. 
I'm going to let you have fill, fields uh, of all sorts of, of, of uh, uh, you know, grapes. I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant. I'm going to give you cornfields that aren't yours. I'm going to hand it all to you. You get to live in the number one place to live in the world, and I'm going to let you enter into my rest. That sounds great, doesn't it? And the one thing, the one thing that God wants is relationship. You see, if we desire rest, then God says, I want relationship. You see, Rest is a result of a relationship with God. Over the last three weeks, uh, you've you've heard me stand up here week after week as we have been in this series, uh, Strength for the Journey, and, and the first three chapters are really, I have stood up here and said, it's Jesus Look at, his, look at his majesty. Look at his transcendent glory. Look at how wonderful he is. Look at his manhood. Uh, look at what he has done for you. If it's not for the manhood of Jesus, we're still in our sin because he needed to die. If you want rest, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, that's really what this text is all about. Uh, it's about this relationship that God's people have with his people. If you want rest, you have to know Jesus. Now let me clarify rest. What you most need. This text is exposing us, right? We think that what we need is just a little more sleep, right? And we get up early in the morning, we, we take some cups of coffee, we're kind of drowsy around three o'clock, and we say, oh, I'm just tired. What I really need is more sleep. But you don't really just need more sleep. That's not real rest. Some of you who are really frustrated, uh, maybe with the uh, current occasion uh, that life has you in right now, and, and, and you think, uh, if I could just take a vacation, that would be wonderful. All I need is just that trip to Mexico, lying on the beach, all-inclusive, right? Uh, maybe it's a cruise, maybe it's white sandy beaches, but all I really need is just a vacation, and then everything would be good, and I, I could find rest, Maybe some of you are, are not even thinking white sandy beaches. Maybe you're just thinking, man, if I could get a long weekend, right? If I could get a long weekend and go away, and, and if I didn't have to worry about some of the things I, I have to currently worry about, then everything would be wonderful and I could find rest. But let me suggest to you this morning that this text, Hebrews 3 and 4, lays out for us that none of those things will give you rest. You could sleep from now till Christmas and not find rest that Hebrews 3 and 4 is talking about. That you could vacation for three months out of the year and not find real rest. Real rest comes because you have a relationship with Jesus. Because in Him, He's the only one that can, can take away guilt from sin. He's the only one who can defeat death. He's the only one that can take away fear. He's the only one that can forgive sins completely. And so if you want rest, Jesus is your man. If you want rest, if you want strength for the journey, if you want the light at the end of the tunnel, it comes because there is 
a relationship with Jesus. There, there was something that I was looking at in this text. It's, it's really interesting. Uh, if you're following along, Hebrews and then James... Uh, it's toward the back of your Bibles if you wanted to follow along. I know there's Bibles in front of you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 9, it says this, this really crazy thing about this kind of rest that is offered. Uh, verse 9, it says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, I, I don't know if you know something about the Sabbath, but uh, the Sabbath really goes back all the way to Genesis. And when God created, right, uh, it says that, that uh, over these six days, he went about creating, and he created things like plants and animals and air that we breathe and the mountains that we gawk at and, and the birds of the air. I mean, even the annoying ones, right? Uh, like those birds that sometimes, if they have too many ber berries, come flying into your window, right? God created all of that, and it says that he rested, and this was his Sabbath rest, so whatever the author of Hebrews means here by Sabbath rest, what we know is that something uh, previously has been done, that there is a work being done prior to this rest, right? Are you all tracking with me? Uh, God did work and then he rested. So let me ask you, what is it that God asks of us before rest? What is it that God asks of us before rest? Uh, parents, you will recognize uh, sometimes the warnings that happen in, in your life with your children. Uh, have you ever said something like, if you ever do that? Right? I, I mean, maybe, maybe it's even so strong as, if you ever do anything like that, I will kill you. Or, or, or maybe it's something like, if you ever do anything like that, uh, I'm going to make sure to write you out of my will. Y'all tracking with me on that? Sometimes you look at the negative example and say, don't do that. Don't look that way. Don't act that way. And if you come down the stairs dressed like that, that's kind of what God does here. You see... He points to Israel. He points to these people that God has chosen. And he said, I don't want you to be like them. You don't want to be like them? No. Over and over again in this passage, in, in 3 and 4, he comes back to the nation of Israel, back to these people, and he says... Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did, this is why I was angry with that generation and I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they will never enter my rest." This is a tenacious part of this entire passage. God is looking at all of us and he's saying, I, I want you to see something. I want you to see the people that I told, that I graced, that experienced miracles. You, you know the story, right? Uh, Israel is God's people. They had seen God. They had felt the mountain shake when he spoke. 
They were there when, when, when he parted this Red Sea and they, two million of them got to walk across on dry ground. You understand, right, that they had experienced the fullness of God, His grace, His power, His mercy. Uh, when they clamored for food in the wilderness, He said, let me give it to you. Uh, when they wanted water, He said, uh, how much do you need? And here He says, in the midst of all of that, they forgot a relationship with me. Rest comes as a result of your relationship with Jesus. Now, what is it going to take for you to enter this rest? It's going to take faith. Do you notice the words that are, uh, are with this negative example? Uh, if you were to scour chapters 3 and 4, here's the words that you would see of the unbelief uh, that Israel had. Uh, unbelief. There was hard-heartedness. They were in rebellion. They were disobedient. Gang, this is not a casual drifting away. This was intent effort to rebel against God by continuing to sin. And God said, no more. You know what scares me about this? In verse three, or chapter 3, verse 11... It says that God declares an oath. They will never enter my rest. Look at verse 18. Drop down just a little bit. And it says, And to whose bodies fell in the desert, and to whom God, and, and to, excuse me, and to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest? You have God of the universe swearing an oath and promising that the unfaithful and the disobedient and the rebellious would not enter his rest. Are, are you all tracking with this? You see, there's this implicit warning for all of God's people here. Let me put it in these terms. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have experienced God's amazing grace. He has taken you from one place and you are at a different place and, and somewhere along the line you have just simply stopped. And not even just simply stopped, but uh, really begun to, uh, to care less about your relationship with Jesus. And not just a casual drifting, uh, but something that is called rebellion. And yet when asked, Maybe you say something like, well, I've been baptized. I've experienced the waters of baptism. I'm good, right? Can I suggest to you that Israel had experienced the waters of baptism in the Red Sea? And God is saying of them here, they will never enter my rest. If this passage of Scripture does not drive some fear into our lives, then I'm not sure what will. Uh, the tough reality is the faithless do not enter God's rest. 
you know, on those long journeys, 12 hours, 15 hours to different places that we go. The hotel and the pool uh, is the rest that, that we desperately want to get to. And, and yet sometimes, uh, sometimes if we're not careful, when we stop at the rest area, we forget that that's not the destination. You and I would never just uh, pitch camp at, at a rest area and say, we've made it. And what Jesus, what the author of Hebrews is saying, that sometimes God's people who have experienced his grace, who know the mercy that he gives, who understand the kind of miracles that he does in people's lives, forget, they, they, they slide back into a life of sin and rebellion and they forfeit their faith. So there is this continuum this morning. There is faith on one side and there is unbelief on the other. And the author of Hebrews is saying, where are you? Will you forfeit your faith, or will you finish it? Now, before we leave this morning, before you begin throwing things at me because I've, I've poked a little at your sense of piety, let me say the opposite is also true in this text. Uh, he says uh, there at the end of chapter 3 in verse 6, he says, if we hold on to our courage and the hope that we, of which we boast. Uh, he says in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. He says in verse 14 of chapter 3, in fact, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end, the confidence we had at first. Oh, what is it that we have to do here? Uh, he comes back and he says, I want you to, to be warned that this is no automatic in. But how is it that you experience rest? You, you hold on to your faith. I was running these things through in my mind this morning uh, as I was uh, just clarifying things in my mind. And, and I began to look at the text again and I heard these words today over and over, um, at least five times in these two chapters, he says, today, today, if you hear his word, don't do what you did before and harden your heart. Today, do it. In other words, what he is saying is, folks, right now, if you've been there before, if your faith is waning, if you're beginning to say, I'm not sure the rest at the end of the road is worth it, uh, come back and say, it is, it is absolutely, and today, if you hear his word, respond. It's right now. And then he says, hear and believe and he says, obey and trust and respond. And here's my favorite. In verse 11 of chapter 4, this is what he says. Let us make every effort to enter that rest. I love it. Make every effort to enter the rest. If there is a faith 
that you need to have. It's a faith that consistently, every day, right now, uh, makes an intense and intentional effort to believe and to obey. How is it that assurance happens? How is it that we find security in our faith? Assurance is a cooperation with God as He cooperates with our faith. You want security? You want assurance from God? Hold on. Make every effort. Uh, several months ago, I was opening up the Omaha World Herald, and there is a, an athlete. His name is Kirk Thomasavich. Some of you probably recognize him. He's an Olympic bobsledder. He's won two medals in the Olympics. He won a gold medal several years ago. And I remember just reading through the article as he was talking about what it takes to be an Olympian. What it takes to be an Olympian is intentional effort. Intense and intentional effort every single day to get up and to do the workout and to keep after it and to focus and to focus and to focus and, and keep going toward the end because the end is the gold medal. The end is the thing that you've been working so hard toward. You want assurance and security? Know that God cooperates with our faith as we make every effort to enter into His rest. Gang, it might not be anymore that we can come and give lip service to God and sit in a pew. If our faith is to grow, if our faith is to be intentional, if we want assurance from God in this relationship that we have with Him, then we need to come and make every effort possible. What does it take to be an Olympian? One person said, it takes 10,000 hours. What is your faith worth? Every hour that you have. To make every effort possible to enter this rest. Just this last week, or a couple weeks ago, rather, uh, there was a guy by the name of Dan Rockwell. He was on our campus. He's a leadership guru. And he talked about uh, what it takes. He talked about the commitment of people in the church. This is what he said. He said, those who are, com- who, those who are not committed find fault. Those who are committed find a way. Ladies and gentlemen, let's find a way to enter His rest. Let's find a way to grow our faith. Let's find a way. Now, your faith doesn't save you. Only Jesus does that. But when you find your faith, it carries you through the portal of this ongoing relationship that you have with God. If you hold firmly to the task, you will enter His rest. So how is it that we hear Him? How is it that our faith grows? How is it that we can be intentional about our faith? I love the answer in the text. Are you ready for this? The answer in the text is the text. Look at 4.11, excuse me, 4.12. 
He said, because the word of God is living and active and is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates to the dividing the soul and the spirits, the joint and the marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, and nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. And everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account the answer in the text, how do we hear, how does our faith grow, how do we, how do we uh, maintain this kind of intentional relationship, how do we make every effort, uh, the text says it's the text. It's the Word. Uh, have you gotten this idea from the Word here that, that it lays us open? Uh, that it can take an exacto knife to the arteries of our soul, split them open and lay them bare. Uh, do you get the sense uh, from this text that, uh, that with this living and active word that we can't hide from it? That there's no fooling the word of God? That it consistently is after us? That we need it and it shapes us? You want your faith to grow. You want assurance from God. You want this relationship. You want to enter His rest. Then the Word is going to have to be a part of it. You want to know the living God? You're going to have to be in the living Word. All sorts of ways you can do that. Many of you have smartphones. I have one uh, with me almost all the time. And I, I have an app in my phone. It's called the YouVersion Bible app. Fantastic. It's super easy. There's actually thousands and thousands of devotional material. If you wanted to read through the Bible in an entire year, uh, it gives you a calendar uh, and, and a program, and it will remind you. Uh, if you wanted something about how to be a better dad or a better mom, it takes you through, through Scripture after Scripture of, of how is it that the, the, the Scriptures, the Word of God in this pursuit of a relationship with Jesus, will lay my life out before me and, and, and continue to push me to have faith, to hold firm, to believe, to trust, and to obey. That's what the Word is doing. And here's one of the things I love about God's Word. We can't do it in isolation. Go into your text one more time. Uh, go to chapter 3, verse 13, and it says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has sinful, unbelieving hearts that turn away from the living God. Uh, notice how it talks about people. Instead, uh, verse 13, instead encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. Uh, do you recognize uh, that this ongoing and growing faith uh, doesn't happen in isolation? When we open up the Word together and we're laid bare together, uh, we learn uh, how to encourage one another not to step back into the life of sin that we used to live in. 
And the Word does this for us. When we find ourselves in the Word, all kinds of possibilities begin to be open to us. Maybe we begin to look in the Word daily and, and, and we're in it and, and we find strange things begin to happen to us. Uh, potentially, uh, maybe if you were to get into God's Word, uh, you think, well, you know what? I've not taken uh, this step of baptism seriously before, but it seems in Scripture like I ought to. That there's a benchmark here that I need to really consider and and you begin, and it lays bare your life, and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into that. And maybe you begin looking into the Word, and it begins to challenge the way that you have given in the past. Maybe you've just given whatever happens to be in your wallet that particular day, a couple of bucks as an offering to God, maybe just to appease Him or something. And you begin to look at the Word and it begins to convict your life. And you say, you know what? This is about a relationship that I want with God and, and my giving is going to be different. And maybe it's about this church and the people that are in it. And, and maybe you come back even to the, to the place where God's grace visited your life and, you're, and you begin to look at the pages of Scripture and what Jesus has done. And you recognize what He's done for you and you say, you know what? I... I want others to be a part of this too. And you begin to look at your neighbors and your friends and say, I want to invite you into a discipleship relationship with the one who can give you rest. And maybe it's that, uh, that you're laid bare and sin becomes a, a problem and, and you say, I need just an opportunity to confess the kind of sin uh, that I've done in the past. I, I want to be clean and I want to move forward. Uh, maybe it's a mission trip. Uh, maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's just simply serving in a different manner. Maybe it's simply saying, you know what, I'm not going to come to church anymore and just sit in the pew and sing a song and give an offering. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to make sure that my faith is being lived out in every area of my life. Not an hour on Sunday, but every, every moment of the day. Gang, our faith has to be real and tangible and touchable. This is about our ongoing relationship with the God of the universe. And he's saying today, if you hear his word, don't rebel. This last week, I, I was a part of one funeral and I heard about another. The one funeral was for an 89-year-old woman. When the preacher got up and, and was talking about her life, he said, uh, let's talk about her loving nature and her living legacy. Isn't that great? You see, a part of her story is that uh, she had raised five preachers. And her grandchildren knew the grace of Jesus Christ. And she had, uh, she had just scattered seed everywhere she had been about the grace that visited her. And, and it was this wonderful celebration of life where, uh, where everybody in the building recognized that this person held firmly to the faith and she was entering into a different kind of rest. She had lived with the rest that God had given her the entire time and now was entering a final rest in the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? 
But it wasn't just for the 89-year-old woman. I had a student come to me the other day and say, I can't make it to class. And I said, hey, what's going on? He said, well, I worked in this youth group uh, back home, and, and there was a 15-year-old that I had worked with that was killed in a car accident. His name was Nick. And I said, yeah, man, absolutely. When he returned, I said, hey, how did things go yesterday? He said, oh, you know, it was fantastic. And I said, tell me about this kid. He said, oh, he, he was just consistently talking to those other people that no one would talk to. He was really what Paul said as a, a bright and shining star in the universe. And he lived out his faith every single day. Maybe you're on one side of that spectrum where you're closer to 89 than you are 15. Or maybe you're closer to that spectrum of 15 than you are 89. But no matter where you are in your life, you have to decide. You have to decide about your faith. Will you forfeit it? Or will you finish it? Let's pray. Gracious God, you're good to us. And I thank you, really, for hard texts like this one that remind us of justice that you offer. That you're a mighty and big and gracious and merciful God. I pray for my faith. I pray for my time in the Word that it would challenge, that it would, that it would make life hard for me sometimes so that I can be in this relationship with you. And I pray for all those in this room and certainly those outside of this room that we would be challenged to live out our faith in, in a way that says we're all in. Thank you for your goodness. We love you in Jesus' name.